I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And this is the From First to Last podcast. It's a podcast where my friend Craig and I would get together each week. We work our way through a director's theatrical filmography from the first film all the way through to their last. And Craig, we are nine episodes into nine. season eight already. Damn, that's crazy. I know. We're not nine films in. No, this no, is no, literally no. the fifth film. Yeah. But we're taking our time this season really trying to enjoy all things. Who are we talking, Craig? Tim Burton. Tim Burton. We are taking our time and really enjoying it. So we've had a couple double episodes along the way. Yeah, exactly. You're actually going to get your first bonus episode next week. Oh, yes. Which we're really excited. Very excited for that one. Um, it's going to be a full-length bonus as well, so we're going to dig into that. We don't believe in small bonuses. No, we don't, do you we, get Craig? Full bonus, you, mate. Do, you get a full bonus, Full length. Full package. Full length, mate. Full package. <laughs> no half... Uh, no, as I heard recently in an episode that just aired, Craig said they don't... They didn't want a peewee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Straight to the it. nut, not the knob. Right. <laughs> That's right. So we are talking, Tim Burton. We had a great uh, episode last week. Oh, yeah. Which normally would be fortnightly, but you actually got one last week. And that's because yeah. we were joined by some friends. Yes. Tim and Lee. Tim and Lee, our good buddies from the Popcorn Podcast, joined us last week. And they're so awesome. They are, aren't they? Oh, man. It's one of those things. Every now and then, Craig and I get to chat with a few people and we get to sort of connect and talk things, movies, and then you start to become friends with them. It's really weird. I just, like, I'm really liking this podcast community. Mm-hmm. Like, I know when we were doing um, Cinema News. Yes. Yeah, there were some in the community that were douchebags. Yep. And, yeah, there were some that were just like, Upstart assholes, and then yep. some who with their heads just so far up their ass, you know. But man, all these podcast guys that we're running into in the community, yeah, fantastic Aren't people, they man. Ever? Hey, exactly, Aren't they ever? Yeah. Oh, so nice, yeah. Especially you know, considering like some of them are doing huge numbers, and we're just like, oh, you are so cool. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> thanks for your time, bro. You know, it's on it. I feel like it's funny. Someone talked uh, the other day. I, I was in the middle of a conversation when they were talking about uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. And the way that it can really play out. And I feel like, in, in all honesty, for me, I feel like there's a bit of that in the podcasting I'm community. Like my whole life is an <laughs> imposter fucking Jojo. <laughs> I sit there and go, how did I get to the egg first, man? Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really get there, you know. <laughs> it was a trick. Well, we all know I was cloned, so there wasn't really oh, yeah, there, there wasn't a clone. There wasn't a race. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am the Gemini man. Uh, <laughs> um, so last week we got to have, we actually had two episodes in a row about Edward Scissorhands. Yes. Our first one a fortnight ago, or if you're not from the land down under, I realised most people don't call it a fortnight, Craig. Oh, really? They call it two weeks. No. A hundred percent. No. Yep. No. I had a good mate. He was from Canada. Shout out, Wes, if you're listening. Um, and I was Enjoy like, oh, tick. yeah, we'll, we'll be doing that in a fortnight. And he's like, what's a fortnight? I said, oh, in two weeks' time. He didn't at least say, like, 
the game? No, well, <laughs> at that stage, uh, when we had this conversation, the game wasn't the, the, the thing. But yeah, I said, oh, well, what do you guys in Canada call two weeks? He's like, two weeks. Do they I was call like, it um, toonies? Do they call it toonies? Is that legit? Oh, no, a $2 coin is a... a oh, there's a loony and a toonie. loony and a toonie. A $1 coin is one a loony and yeah, a, is a toonie. I like that. a beanie's a toque. Yeah, uh, I'm happy to throw a few... Lo- yeah, hey, if you want to chuck a few loonies and toonies our way... Yeah, go for it, Feel free to. Yeah, yeah, this is getting a couple we of should really, We should really actually do something about if people do want to donate. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> they can. We'll make that happen soon, people. But we got to talk Edward Scissorhands. Uh, what a phenomenal film, Craig. Fantastic. Uh, for those who didn't tune in last week, spoiler alert, it skyrocketed to the top he of died. our rank- <laughs> ranking list. But <laughs> uh, do you know something I love about having Tim and Lee on is they always bring a couple perspectives we weren't ready for. Yeah. And they also really bring some facts. Lee loves to dig deep into her facts, doesn't she? Oh, yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, she does. She researches well. And Tim was a huge Edward Scissorhands fan, which I wasn't. Oh, no. I wasn't prepared for. Like was I. I knew, I knew it would be probably everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, exactly. But, I thought like fan fans. Yeah, but not like nah, man. Fan, yeah, <laughs> like, like the type of guy it. who'd like sneak on and cut a bit of the hair off, you know, Johnny Depp. <laughs> you know, that's a fan. <laughs> that's what I was like, shit, man. That's oh, so but it's awesome, you know. Yeah. Man. It's, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that you go, oh man, isn't film wonderful in the way that it can do that? Yeah, I love, I love looking at people like that, and you just like, and because you know, I'm like that with um other subjects, and Jeff's like that with yep. with Rain of Fire, and you just oh, like, yeah, man, it's just so cool when you just can get to that point. Where you just go, yeah, I'm just going wild over it. I'm due for my next watching of Rain of Fire, Craig. <laughs> I love it so much. I seriously love that movie so much. Banging cast. There's no way you could get Jared Butler, Christian Bale, and Matthew McConaughey all to star in a film. Hey, I watched like the first half hour. Oh, we got to do it. And then I think McConaughey shows up in a tank. Yeah. And then that's it. Yeah. That's when I watched it. They're American mercenaries traveling the world trying to find basically the hive of the... And a a kid finds the dragon underneath the subway? Yes. that. That is literal little Christian Bale. Is that little? Oh, it's a little Christian Bale. Oh, yeah, he's the first oh, one to find the I dragon. Thought that, I thought that kid died in uh, Hiroshima. No, <laughs> I think he gets out. Okay, cool. From memory, I've watched it a couple of yeah. times, <laughs> uh, but I do love Rain of Fire. So this week, after Edward Scissorhands, we are moving on to. I'd say this is a big gun. If Edward Scissorhands was a big gun, this yeah. is also a big gun. This is a whopper. This is. Batman Returns. Oh, damn. Oh, yes. Gotta love Batman Returns, man. Do you know, every now and then there's a film, Craig, that you can't say the name without me picturing the movie poster? Same, same. And this is is one one of of the first floating head posters? Quite possibly, hey. Yeah. I just realized uh, this is where the whole Marvel floating heads come (laughs) from. They do love a floating oh, head or 12, don't head. they? Yeah, exactly. Or yeah. just floating torsos they like. Some of them too. Like I saw one the other day and I was like, man, they're not even trying. Man, on seriously, one. just, I look, I, you know me, I love Marvel. But fuck, I hate their posters. <laughs> I fucking <laughs> hate their posters. They used to be really good. Remember that first Captain America, first Avenger Yeah, that poster? was cool. And it but had that, like 
but and that, it had Evans holding the shield. But that's based on a uh, on a um, Marvel cover. cover. And they did the same for Incredible Hulk. Yeah, had exactly. That amazing cover as well. So it's like I don't know. They're, yeah, they're, but they're all the ones. That's why all the all the best ones they save um, for like Criterion re-releases and shit like that. And you just go fuck. Just let Mondo do your fucking yeah, thing and then Mondo we'll be happy. Some good stuff. They do some good stuff. Actually, uh, speaking of Criterion, did you see that Criterion announced they have launched a partnership with Pixar? Oh, and their first Criterion release on 4K is to be Wally. And I read this, and a lot of the Reddit, there's some Reddit um, hard asses that are like, oh, Criterion is sold out. No way. If they have. Criterion never sell out. No way. It's Criterion, man. I'm actually very excited. I have a copy of The Irishman in the post at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Very excited for that. I still never. I haven't rewatched The Irishman. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to go back to it. It's really weird, man. It's really weird. Just the the effects throw me off somewhat. It's like watching Polar Express, but with gangsters. With De Niro. <laughs> De Niro. <laughs> this is this young man who's walking like an old man. <laughs> like, I love it. Careful of steps when he shoots someone and kicks him out the door. Oh, gotta be careful of that step. <laughs> <laughs> shuffle, shuffle. But he's shuffle. got a young face. Shuffle, shuffle. <laughs> um, so, Craig, we are at that point where we've reached Batman Returns, and I'd say we're probably reaching in Tim Burton's career. Mm-hmm. This is probably when. You would say he is, I don't know, I'd say this is probably one of the first times where he's reaching, if there's to be a peak of his power, you know, Batman Returns is really that, oh my gosh, he can't do anything wrong. I think this is where it's, I hope it's not the peak of peak of his career, even though I've heard other ones, uh, but <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm thinking this is where he's been given... Free reign. Yes. So this is where he's had the power. Yep. So and that's where I think this one comes in because obviously everything else was, yes, we're putting a lot of trust in you. Yep. Um. But you know, but it's not a Tim Burton film. It's a Pee Wee Herman film. Yep. It's not a Tim Burton film. It's a Batman film. Yeah. And this is where they go. Okay, Tim. Just true Burton. It. You've got it. It's do, true. Do Burton. whatever Burton does. Or I can't wait to tell you some facts, Craig. Awesome. Should we dig in? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. But remind me. Actually, don't remind me. I'm just going to quickly jump into it. Yep. Got a phone call from my haphazard um, brother. Yes. He hates his film. Uncle Johnny. Yeah. Johnny. Hates his film. Hates it. Oh. I know. I know. So I'd love to know when the last time I he just, watched it was. He said about two years ago. Two years. Yeah, so I just hung wow. up on him. Did you fuck really? Fuck you, John. Did you really? No, not really, because <laughs> then he'd ring me up and go, what the fuck you hang up on me for? <laughs> Can I tell the story? There was... Then he'd drive up here and he'd start like, am I a joke to you? <laughs> <laughs> there was a number of years ago, I uh, played in a soccer team and we had this team and it was quite a successful little team, but um, a few of the boys were quite aggressive. Mm-hmm. And there was one game where they got really aggressive towards a referee and I was really embarrassed. And we, we had um, our team was sponsored and had some reasonably large names on our jersey to which I thought, you know what, if this goes Vine. any worse, we're going to get in a bit of trouble here and it's pretty embarrassing. And in honesty, we're growing up so we should be able to keep our rage in, in check. And And so I called this guy and I'm like, hey man, just call in to let you know. Uh, I've made the call as like 
captain of the team. I'm actually pulling the team because I'm really disappointed with the way everyone's been behaving for the last couple of weeks. Yeah. I don't think it's going to change. I don't think we should do the season. And then the phone went dead and I looked down and I was like, oh, my phone got cut out. That's really an opportune That's moment to do it. And so, I was laying the law. So I rang back. I'm like, hey, really sorry, man. My phone just cut out. Um, so, uh, and he goes, <laughs> just he goes, nah, man, I hung up on you. F you. Bonk. And just hung up again. Damn. And I was like, and that was literally the last person, last time I ever heard from that person. Oh, wow. So you yeah. pull, obviously you pulled the team? Yeah, pulled the team. Wow. And yeah, that person I've not heard for in probably, oh, I'd say 25 years. That's probably a good thing. Yeah. Probably so, a very good thing. I, I, hope I thought, doing well I thought you had my brother John come onto the field or something. <laughs> <or> someone. <laughs> so, fuck, John. Oh, that was the same competition that I witnessed a referee get kicked and, oh, wow. and a guy get a lifetime ban. It was pretty pretty wild. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I've, I had a dude in our basketball team who, just, who pushed a female ref. Oh, golly. And we all just we just kicked him off. Yeah, and, sometimes yeah. you got to, man. Oh, it's man, like, he was a douche. Yeah. But fuck, bro, you don't do that. Yeah. We're here to play. Not cool at all. Anyways, Craig, we've digressed a little we've bit. We've digressed here. a little. But let's dive into what's happening in the world of Batman Returns post Ed, uh, Tim Burton, I mean, post Edward Scissorhands. Oh, okay, so normally I'd sort of take us from, okay, we've just had Edward Scissorhands release. Here's what's going on in the time period between yeah. A and B. But for today's episode, we're actually going to rewind a little bit further. Dun, dun, That's right. Scooby Doo it back. Dun. And basically, we're going to take a look at life post Batman. So, Ooh. 1989 is the release of Batman. And during... Does have to do with Tim Burton being horny? <laughs> Fuck, he's always horny. <laughs> he is a little bit of a horn dog in yeah, these days, exactly. isn't he? I wanted he? to bring this up the other day. He's, he's, he's a horn. He's a horn, <laughs> he's, a, he's a little bit there. <laughs> uh, so, during the post-production phase... He always of, has bed hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Craig. So, during post-production of Batman, Warner Brothers are really keen to get cracking straight into a sequel. Yeah. Now, obviously, they've made this film. It goes on to uh, sell, you know, $400 plus million dollars worth of uh, box office returns, domestically, merchandise, merchandise, everything else. So, for them, they're onto a big money spinner. Now, crazy little fact that I learnt here is that both Michael Keaton and Tim Burton only signed on for one Batman film. Oh, wow. So these days, obviously, if it's a superhero film, yeah. it's notorious for, unless you were Robert Downey Jr. that got very lucky with Iron Man, everyone had seven yeah. film contracts. Or, you know, DC might do five film contracts or something like that. And so the fact that Keaton and Burton were both signed for just one film only of Batman... Pretty wild. Pretty hardcore. Uh, so then, obviously, with all this happening, they're, they're really keen to get going with some more uh, Batman movies. And in actual fact, they were so confident they sort of had allowed for Burton to make a trilogy of films. Yeah. Okay. So their plan was to begin filming the first sequel a few months after the release of Batman in May 1989. Uh, they were actually so confident in Batman being successful and the sequel moving ahead that they bought all the sets that were pre-built from the first film in Pinewood Studios. Oh. And actually paid $2 million and put the sets as well under 24-hour guard. Because it was actually cheaper for them to go, well, let's just pay some guards to guard the lot yeah. and protect the um, the the sets uh, rather than knock them all down, return later, That's and then rebuild. Awesome job. So 
What's really sad actually is, um, and this I found out just this afternoon as I was doing a little bit more research, I'm a bit Peter Jackson-y in the fact that I work all the way up until we go on air, <laughs> Craig, on this stuff. But uh, I sadly found out the set designer for the first Batman took his life in between the two films. Oh. And so they actually, uh, Burton brings in Bo Welch, who is a long-time collaborator from then on. Um, but there, there's a whole heap of stuff in there as well where, um, yeah, so all those sets are built and I think they might go through a bit of a, uh, they were in a bit worse for wear than they actually expected them to be when they saw them. But the studio rehires Sam Hamm as writer for the, the, the film yep. and plans for the sequel to feature both the Riddler and the Penguin as the villains. Now, their hopes were that Robin Williams would star as the Riddler. Yeah. And uh, Williams had actually been a, a front runner for the, the Joker role mm. um, and it never panned out. And so the Riddler was an opportunity to have him in there and Danny DeVito was who they hope to have play the penguin fucking just just the penguin you just yeah. be like man i'm saving so much fucking money here i'm, uh, I'm make up <laughs> it's true it's true body shape alone but for burton um he couldn't actually fathom that the studio would want to proceed with a sequel to a film that hadn't even been released yet in his mind um the idea that you know, so much could be invested into a movie and you don't wait to see if it pays off before investing more. Yeah. It's just something he just could not fathom. And also, he's quite self-depreciating, so he probably wouldn't view himself as the sort of director that someone would want to invest another $80 million in. Yeah, exactly. So so to him, he's a bit sort of dumbfounded by that. Now, he's also not super enthusiastic at the prospect of stepping straight into another Batman film, especially as he considered, uh, following its release, Batman to be his weakest film to date. Oh. So this is really interesting because um, what we sort of do and... and, um, we have already recorded an interview around this this film and we discuss it a bit more, which people will hear next week. But when I do my research in the film, I don't do a block of research for the entire season and let it pan out. What we do is we try and keep it very organic. Yeah. So each episode you're finding out the information that was relevant to that project either at the time or following its release. So what can actually happen is a film like Batman could be released and all the press is like, we had such a great time making this film. Oh, what a great crew we're working with. Oh, I love Warners, you know, all that (laughs) sort of stuff. Couldn't dream of working for a better better, uh, bunch of creative people. And then years later, reflection starts happening Hmm. maybe some contracts have have lapsed and things like that and people start to talk a bit more openly about the the process of making a film and so um the later in his career burton starts making it a bit more known that the process of making batman saw a lot of studio interference makes sense and now they actually hadn't completed the script before shooting batman oh wow yes so there was a lot of uncertainty around how things were going to play out from the outset. Mm. Um, Is the Joker going to win? (laughs) And upon the release of Batman Returns, uh, Burton's producing partner, Denise DeNovi, actually says that 50% of the film that we got to see for that 89 Batman was Burton's vision. 
So only half the film was what Burton intended us to see. Well, there's all sorts of things like, um, so I I read about Danny Elfman was quite sceptical about signing on for the Batman Returns sequel because he'd signed on to do the Batman soundtrack and not been told that Prince would later be involved. So Prince was, his soundtrack was shoehorned into the film late in the piece. So Elfman felt like someone just sort of undercut all his... Vision it's for like the film. Another bitch in your bed. Hundred <laughs> yeah, percent. Right. Yeah. So, so lots of things like that was going on in the background that the studio sort of would go. Well, what about this? What about this? And you could understand for uh, a a filmmaker like Burton, who's just come off a project in Edward Scissorhands that is probably the most creative control he's ever had. Yeah, definitely. And it's found away from Warner Brothers. Uh, you can imagine that he's. It's pretty understandable, actually, why he views Batman in a lesser light. Yeah, you know, but but you can also see how you can know that the Batman was impo- is important for him. Oh, most definitely. That's why you, I guess if there's a lot of studio interference, he'd struck him as the type who'd fight a lot of studio yes. interference if he did. But he just he was at such a young part of his career that yep. he's just like, yeah, okay, I've just got to think of this as. As the big game. Stepping stones. Yeah, this is the Stepping big game. Stones. Yeah, just just be friendly, Tim. Yeah. Be friendly. Don't pull your hair out. <laughs> just just go and pick up a girl or a boy. Or <laughs> but we have we have learnt this season already, Craig, that he's not afraid to stand up to say a yeah. rider who's not pulling their weight and go, It's time to get them off the project, you know? Do you think he's a yeller? Uh no, I don't think so. I, I reckon he'd be uh, I don't know. My my Feeling would be that he'd be not passive aggressive, but I reckon he'd be that sort of person that would be talking. There'd be that weird tension in the air as they're sort of having yeah. a conversation. And then probably someone comes in and they're like, hey, you're not working on the project anymore. Yeah, I think he'd be directly awkward. You know what I mean? Like just come and go, yeah, not working. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and then <laughs> and you'd be like, out. "What the fuck?" Yeah, and then a HR guy will come in like a minute straight after him and go, "Okay, so let me just talk about what Mr. Burton <laughs> just said." <then."> um, <laughs> so let me just expand on what I Mr. Burton said. Yep, I love it. I love <laughs> yeah. it so much. Uh, then standing behind him later in his career is Johnny Depp, just nodding. Yeah, <laughs> Johnny Depp for moral support. <laughs> you, you tell him, Tim. You, you tell, tell him. him. You tell him. <laughs> I love it. Nevertheless, Craig, (laughs) the studio pushed really hard for Burton to follow up Batman with the sequel. But as we know, uh, Burton takes a little detour to go and make a beautiful film starring Johnny Depp in the gothic fairy tale Edward Scissorhands. Good old Johnny. Uh, During this time, Burton and the studio are able to have a little more time to negotiate Burton's involvement. And Burton was able to begin developing his version of Batman Returns uh, sort of mid-1990. Oh. Um, which is sort of in that time. So there's a bit of a timeline thing going on here, Craig, which is that Warner Brothers are developing 89 yeah. and Burton sort of steps away. Burton starts getting a bit more involved again sort of mid-90s. Yep. And we'll hear about what goes on there. Uh, and then uh, in January 1991, a month after the North American release, and sort of in the middle of the international release for Edward Scissorhands, mm. uh, it's officially announced that Burton would return to direct a sequel. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the proviso, though, for Burton was that if he was going to do this film, 
he has to have complete creative control. <laughs> okay, so oh, yeah. he's oh, yeah. returning to the world, but he's going to do it on his terms. Yep. So Big man Burton. Yeah, that's exactly right. Big money Burton. <laughs> 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 so what do you think about it? Warner Brothers were smart in locking Burton in. when They, they, they know that he could leave. Like he left to make Edward Scissorhands at Fox. Was given some creative freedom, still successful. made money. It's very successful. So there's this risk that he would continue to become successful no matter where he goes. Yeah. So let's let's try and lock him in, you know. So before we start getting deep into the film's journey to screen, yeah. even though we're already having an absolute crackerjack chat around this, Craig, uh, I thought we'd just take a little look at the cinematic landscape for 1992, which Ooh, is the yeah, year yeah. Batman Returns was released. Now... It's interesting. 1992 is a reasonably standard year in film, but what's really important for this year is that, and when we see what the box office takings for Batman Returns were, is there was a real downturn in cinema goers for 1992. Really? Yeah, so um, for some reason... The release of DVD? Home video had started really getting quite large. Blockbuster was kicking in. But just in 1992, it became this year, and it could be one of those things, like, you know, uh, if there's been regular big years of blockbusters, yeah. there ends up being this downturn year where it's almost like people get a bit of a cinematic fatigue. We sort of had it the past couple of years. Yeah, and so you people are just less likely to go to the cinemas. might be for 12 months, it might be for two years, and then something comes along, you know, like 92 we're about to get into the world of Jurassic Park, you know, yeah. in the next couple of years, which then the box office booms again because people want to see spectacles. I'm hoping Top Gun's done that. I, I'm hoping that too, mm. Craig. I'm really hoping that too. So um, there's a real downturn. And so the way that it starts playing out, and very similar to what's playing out with Top Gun Maverick, which is really quite interesting yeah. you raise that point, Craig, is that suddenly once one film starts making a bit of money mm. and being successful studios start throwing more money at other films. Yeah. Or once it's announced that this film's going to be released in that time of year, people go, wow, we've also got a film coming around that time. We should move it, throw a bit more money at it, see if we can make it a bigger movie. And one of those films that had that happen was uh, they were very specific. So Batman Returns gets released in February. It's very intentional for a February release, which you think about that. Yeah, February is yeah, a bit weird. It's not typically it's a blockbuster after, time. Yeah. And they did it on purpose because they wanted a clear market and they wanted to market the heck out of this Good to point. families. So a film like Patriot Games, which gets released in 1992, oh, was actually had its budget doubled once a couple other films were announced to be released that year. And oh. they pushed it back and then gave it more budget to be a bigger bigger Good film sure than it be. was. So really interesting sort of time. And so it's also a bit of a – it's got some absolute cracking films too this year, Craig, oh, I've yeah. got to say. This is one of those, if we're saying, is this a vintage year? I think it's a pretty <laughs> darn good year. But we've – currently discussed three films previously on From First to Last that have been 1992 films. 92. Now, in season one, we spoke about Death Becomes Her from Robert Zemeckis. Ooh, I've heard there's a new release coming of that. Really? Yes, there's a... Um, Constantine posted it, obviously. Yeah, we might um, be Constantine. Yeah, there's like a... There might even... It might be Criterion, or it's a 4K, something like that. There's a new uh, release coming. Cool. I did see they're also doing a vinyl release of it. 
Oh, the really? Soundtrack on vinyl. Uh, we also talked in season five, Robert How- uh, Ron Howard, I should say. Robert Howard. <laughs> Robert Howard, his uh, long lost brother. Ron Howard's Far and Away. Oh, speaking of Tom 92. Cruise. Yeah, 92. Wow, right. man, that's old shit. That's hardcore. Good old Nicole Kidman. And then we're going to jump forward to season seven with Michael Mann, last year's season, with The Last of the Mohicans. Was oh, released as well. fantastic. So the big Oscar darling for 1992 was a tiny little western by an amazing filmmaker named Clint Eastwood. Oh. Unforgiven. Oh. It was nominated for nine Academy Awards, Craig. It won four, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Gene Hackman, and Best Film Editing. One of my favourite films of all time. Isn't it funny, Craig? I forget sometimes how good Gene Hackman is in that film. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're so busy focusing on how good Eastwood and Morgan Freeman are in the film, you forget that Hackman is just Hackman that. Hackman is amazing. Isn't he? Amazing. Oh, man, I want to watch that movie again so bad. Uh, so, the worldwide box office for 1992, Craig. Let's hit it. Number one, Disney's Aladdin. Ah! A whole new world. Fantastic, man. Fantastic indeed, Craig. Uh, at number two, this is both one of our favourite movies. Whitney Houston. <gasps> Kevin Costner. He's my bodyguard. The and they've bodyguard. just released the trailer for her biopic. Oh, have they? Want to dance with somebody, yeah. Oh, it looks wow. pretty damn amazing. Does it? Yeah, it does. Oh, I've checked that out, Craig. At number three, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Oh, God. Yes. God. Number four, Basic Instinct. Oh, wow. I had no idea that was such a so worldwide I, hit. Yeah, there was so much controversy behind it. People just wanted to have a peek. Yeah, it was one of those films. You watched it for the yeah. Rudy bits. Yeah. Uh, number five, Lethal Weapon 3. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the Joe Pesci one, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah, is. It is. Uh, at number six, Tim Burton's Batman Returns. Oh, taking that's good. $266 million worldwide. Fantastic. Uh, number seven, just listen to how great this top ten is. A Few Good Men. Oh, man, we were watching that the other day. Oh, I love that song. Number eight, Sister Act. Oh, wow. With Whoopi Goldberg. Oh, follow yes, so fun. Uh, number nine, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, really? I yeah. was watching BBC Dracula before I came over here. Gary Oldman. Gary Wolves Oldman is amazing. Isn't it? Winona. Winona's in there. Keanu's yes, Keanu. in there. Yeah. And Anthony Keanu Hopkins. horrible in it. Fuck, uh, it's been a long time since it. I've watched it. Oh, no. Nah, time will not change that. Uh, I might have to. You've got that one at home, don't you, Craig? I'll yeah, have to yeah, yeah. Because I love that shit. I have to borrow it. Number 10, Wayne's World. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is a great film. So in the wide release, there's uh, I've, I've put a couple of odd ones in here as well, but The Hand That Rocks the Cradle was in there. Uh, Rebecca De Mornay? Yes. Oh, man. A gnome named Norm. And the reason I put this in here. What's a gnome named Norm? It was for uh, us. It was called Upworld in Australia. <gasps> yes. Anthony Michael Hall. And he upward. meets a gnome yeah. that comes from the underworld. And his is name is Norm. He's a cop. That's right. It's a buddy cop <gasps> movie of a gnome named Norm. And it's actually the first film no, no, no. directed by Stan Winston. Bullshit. The Stan Winston. Fuck, I've got to watch this movie now. So, yeah, I remember seeing a photo and I was another doing a bit of research. I mean, another, another Edward Cisander alumni. Yep, that's exactly right. And so Stan Winston has this beautiful photo that shows off in his workshop um, of all their big sort of... You know, there's a Terminator there. There's yeah. all this. And off to the side, I saw the gnome named Norm. And the name Norm. 
there. And I was like, what in the world? And just never gave two thoughts. So while I was researching, I was like, you're joking me. Got to find Stan Winston directed I'm glad it. you brought that up. Jesus. Uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man with Chevy Chase was released. Oh, my God. What a Darryl piece of Hannah. shit that was. Yeah. Is that Daryl Hannah? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Daryl Hannah. Yeah, you're right. It was. It was. Some... Uh, Marissa Tomei was best female actor in My Cousin, Cousin Vinny. Vinny. Oh, yeah. the youths. I fucking love it. The Power of One was released. Oh, wow. I've yeah. only seen it once. Uh, Beethoven. Oh, I've fucking seen that way too many times. <laughs> one we watched recently with the kids, Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest. Is it Avatar? I've never watched it. Hey. Uh, it's, well, it's very clear there's an environmental message in okay. there. But... Amazing cast. Christian Slater's in there. Robin Williams. Uh, Robin Williams is in there. Tim Curry's in there. Um, oh, I wish I could remember her name. Who was the girl that was in the Super Mario movie? She was really close to being big, sort of that sweetheart next door. Oh, I can't remember now. Oh, it'll kill me if oh, I don't look it up. Damn. But you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly who yeah, you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that was big over here, obviously, because it was, set, was in, set in it Australia. It was set in Australia. Yeah. Uh, and and you can actually go, go visit oh, the the um the mountains that they talk about. There is a sequel as well. Where is the mountains? Uh Queensland. Yeah, but whereabouts? Uh I think it's the Glasshouse Mountains, if I remember right. Oh, uh, Mount Warning is the actual Ooh. place. Uh Samantha Mathis. Ah, yes, I know Samantha so, Mathis. Yeah, she was she was close. She was really close, but yeah, Cheech and Chong are in there as well. Tone Loke. Tone Loke, yes. man. Yes, I man, love it so Funky much. Funky Dan is not a good song to listen to again. <laughs> I've not heard it in a very long time. Oh, man. man. Is it, it creepy? It's creepy. It's just about him slipping shit into drinks. Oh, gosh. That's all I just... That's what it is. Just giving her some funky comedy and slipping shit into drinks to make girls love you. Oh my word! It is, it is like it's, it's just in today's environment. It doesn't work. The times they haven't they changed. changed. Right. Right. Exactly <laughs> like shit. Uh, David Fincher makes his directorial debut with Alien Three. Oh man, I've got to watch that again. Uh, Patriot Games was released, as we talked about. Yeah, love a, Patriot Games. A League of Their Own was released. They're doing a TV series of it. Yeah, it's out at the moment on Amazon. I, I think. think somewhere I heard a reason of some people saying of a sequel to the movie. Oh really? Like, how could you do a sequel to the movie? Just I, I just feel old like bastards. It's just, been so long, Craig. That and Madonna's so craggy, man. You oh. need special effects just to get her on screen. I think Madonna's living as a special effect oh, at the moment. It's man. pretty scary. Um, also released is Universal Soldier. I fucking love that movie. There's I'm all ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> School Ties was released. Fantastic, amazing. Matt Damon. Ben Affleck. Uh, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser is the yeah. main actor. So Amazing. Great. Hey, I throw a little dream casting out online this week. I don't know if you saw it. Craig. No. I was pretty happy with it. So Darren Aronofsky put a photo up saying two of my favorite people, and one of them was Brendan Fraser doing a little like cute pose. Like oh, this. yes. Yeah, yeah, the Rodney Dangerfield. Oh, man. He is so primed yes. for a Rodney Dangerfield biopic. You heard it here. Jeff Reed. He put it out there. <laughs> I put it in the world. I, uh, I'd like to find out more. I'm, I might actually look into the... Um, life of Rodney Dangerfield. See if it is biopic worthy. It'd have to be fascinating. It would be fascinating because, yeah, he's just a cool dude. Yep. Just doing some stand up. It'd be so good. Uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross was released. Hardcore. Sneakers. I love that movie <laughs> so darn much. I love it. We have a little chat next week about it. You hear about yeah. it. Malcolm X was released. 
Loved it. Uh, tw- and the two VHS packet. Yes, two I remember that. VHS. It was the shell that yeah. opened up. Oh, I love it. Uh, Quentin Tarantino makes his debut in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, still remember my brother bringing that home. And another Robin Williams movie gets released, which is a bit of a an obscure one. I believe it might be it might be Barry Barry Levinson directs Toys with Robin Williams. Oh man, that was awesome. Now the reason I I, I raise that is because if you remember all the way back to our intro episode, Craig, mm. uh, Toys. With Robin Williams, Tim Burton did a lot of the concept art oh, yes. for that film, and so it's it's really interesting. And I don't know if you remember, there were lots of those wooden ducks on wheels yes. that were very prevalent in um, in Hansel and Gretel. Mm. Now, for those at home playing along, Craig has now done two silent sneezes, which were pretty Fantastic. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm concerned that he's burst a kidney in it, though. Um, <laughs> Just start so, pissing myself. <laughs> <laughs> so warm. <laughs> um, so, Craig, that's the cinematic landscape for 1992. You can see it's quite a big year with a lot of huge movies. Yeah, a lot of big, lot of tentpole films. Yes, man. a lot of and, tentpole films. And so, it's a very fascinating year. So, before we really dive into the journey of screen, I thought it'd be really good to take a moment, Craig, and fill some people in just in case they'd never seen this film. They might not have watched it in a very long time. Very long time. Uh, So let's just take a moment, Craig, and let's just hear about it. Prepare for Batman's next adventure as he comes into conflict with evil businessman Max Shrek, deformed crime boss the Penguin, and the iconic sexiness that is Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Tim Burton brings back his flair, colour, and oddities to Gotham. Let's talk about... Batman Returns. So good, Craig. Now, with creative control in his power, yeah, yeah. Tim Burton begins to look at the sort of crew that he wants to work with on Batman Returns. You know, cool. he, he takes a look at who he worked with on the previous Batman film and just thinks, you know, what are some of the elements that don't feel like me? Yeah. And mm. we've reached a point, I think, with Edward Scissorhands where Burton's starting to really know his flavour. Yeah. And who helps enhance that to its best ability. So he he starts really looking at who can help be, his creative vision be realized. So he begins by bringing in production designer Bo Welch. Now, we talked about the, the set designer had sadly passed away or yeah. production designer passed away. So Bo Welch steps in as well. Now, he'd worked on both Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands with Burton. So you can tell there is a very... Burton quality to that production yeah, designer. Um, he brings in cinematographer Stefan Sapsky. But you know uh, who Bo Welsh is married to? Who? Catherine O'Hara. Oh, really? <laughs> there yeah. you go, Craig. So I don't know whether they met on the set of Beetlejuice, but yeah. Wow, there we go. Thanks, Craig. That's, That's a right. great I tried to get him in an interview. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh. He, won't my, he won't answer my emails. Come on, Bo. <laughs> <laughs> He's too busy, Craig. Come on, Bobby, I reckon. Him. I reckon, like production designer would be a busy ass job. Oh yeah, he'd man. be working incredibly all busy man. day. Um, he also brings in cinematographer Stefan Sapsky. Now, Sapsky worked on Edward Scissorhands with with Burton. Yep. So he's starting to go, oh, well, here's a visual tone I really like. I'm yep. going to go for this. He brings in special effects legend Stan Winston to Stan work o. on a few things. So he works on the suit for the Penguin. Fresh from an name, name, all. 
He also is a <laughs> gnome name Norm. He also worked on, I didn't know if you know. I don't know if you knew this, Craig, but Winston actually developed a whole heap of animatronic penguins for this movie. Oh, really? So there was a combination of real life penguins, animatronic penguins, and CG penguins used in this You movie. mean that they weren't real penguins picking him up with their weird <laughs> flippers at the end? <laughs> They're somehow dragging him the fuck into the water? Genuinely people in those costumes <laughs> are there. It's the weirdest thing and no one's touching him. I'm like, what are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> They're <laughs> just excreting in front of him so it makes it slippery and he's sliding in. <laughs> just Oh, it's all his black, Harry black saliva. Oh, Harry Stylesing everywhere. Uh, he's such a llama. <laughs> <laughs> a boy band llama. Um, Still don't believe it. One of the cool stories that I did read was the animatronic penguins they had just sitting there. Um, so I had like the set, especially for the penguins' lair, was a giant, basically refrigerator that they were operating. Yeah. So the live penguins could swim around because there's quite a lot of real penguins swimming in that water you see at all times. And so a couple of times they found um, real life penguins cuddled up sleeping against the animatronic ones. Aww. And so just little things like that, that they were like, obviously Stan Winston did a really good job because... Yeah, real life penguins are just fantastic. Aren't they ever? Yeah, I saw him at Tassie just aren't coming out of the water and you're just like, oh my God. Yeah. It's a real life penguin. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear about that guy at the zoo? Taronga Zoo? No. So just a, a, a guy walked up, he had a backpack and just realised he could probably reach over and grab one of those penguins. So he did. Popped it in his backpack took it home <laughs> and it became this news story. It was a couple of years ago, a big news story. And, and so then the dude had to like go back into Taronga Zoo and drop the penguin off. <laughs> oh, well, not, I don't know. Was he pissed? Or just like, oh, just like, oh that's, a, that's a penguin. I'm going to take that home. That's fantastic. So, <laughs> so, so that's really a suit. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of those Stan Winston ones. Um, so, no, he was trying to work out how they got them to dance at night for the for the George Miller <laughs> movie. Um, <laughs> do it! I seen you do it. <laughs> um, so with these new talent brought in, they also bring in a few like new art directors, uh, makeup artists, and a few more other sort of uh, jobs and cast and crew brought in there for to to really make up his stable. So, so Burton is bringing together this stable of uh, like-minded creatives, and I really do think, compared to the first Batman, this feels like such a real world to me. Yes, it feels very um, expanded yet, ah, uh, yet focused. Yes, I know that makes sort of no sense. What? So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, there's so much more detail in the focus. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's um, tactile. Yeah, I think exactly. that's a, it's it's so like you feel like at any time you could reach out and grab something. Yeah. When I think that eighty nine Batman, so often you're looking and you're like, is that a matte painting behind there, or yeah. is it? You know, which probably lends it. We we talked a bit in the eighty nine Batman um, about how it feels like this the animated series, that nineties animated yeah. series, and I think that's because there is this art sort of painting-like feel to it. And I think the characters the characters um, are more front and centre. In well, well, in the first one, they're very, you know, they're on the screen. You, you, and it just looks like a um, an afterthought that sometimes the back end there. Yeah. Um, whereas 
this one, it's you could just feel it feels lived in, Doesn't so it? much more lived Doesn't in, it? and it's so much more a- atmospheric. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it actually looks like a world that could give birth to a human penguin. Yes, and and it's funny, isn't it? Because like thinking about it now, you do step sort of. It's like there's a '50s quality era to that '89 Batman. Yeah, there is. There is. Um, whereas this feels like where we've moved into the '80s and '90s for for yeah, even Batman in the cars. Returns. Yeah, yeah, even in the cars. Yeah, it just feels like we've we've sort of jumped forward in time. Uh, so, in addition to changes to crew, Burton also worked to protect his creative vision further by making two other key changes. The first was that Tim Burton and producer John Peters did not get along at all on the first film. Oh. So much so that Burton actually had Peters demoted from producer to executive producer for <laughs> Batman Returns. <laughs> now, now the difference between the two roles, just in case people at home are like, what is a producer and an executive percentage. producer? It's a percentage of involvement, but also how hands-on that involvement is as well. So, uh, you know, a producer may be on set uh, ensuring that you know, the director and the cast and the crew are all communicating well together and things are moving along, the money's being managed well, all that sort of stuff. An executive producer pretty much does not go to set yep. and sort of sits in the studio getting updates from there. It's probably a lot less hands-on than yeah, it, <laughs> than, does, yeah. than it happens. Gets so the coffees. That's exactly right. And the demotion means that, as Burton was very strict in saying that Peters was banned from the set, <laughs> yeah, so he wanted zero involvement wow, from John just Peters. Curious to see what what he did to piss off Bert. Well, John John Peters, for those who don't know, is notorious for he was an ex hairdresser. Ah, so have you heard the story? I'm no. pretty sure he's married to Barbara Streisand at one point. Oh, is he real? Oh my God! So yes, yeah. He was a, a hairdresser for the stars who ended up getting a chance to produce a film and pretty much worked his way into becoming. He was at one star at one stage, pretty much running Warner Brothers as oh, really? a yeah. He he and his producing partner. So, um, he was very prov- prevalent. He got the. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's the guy that got the Superman film off the ground, isn't he? Was he involved in Superman? Plausible, actually. I'm pretty sure he's involved involved in the Superman films, but he's gone on to be, he's involved in the latest Superman films for sure. Kevin Smith talks about him quite a lot. Yeah. Produced Wild Wild West. Oh, Um, he is the producer who often likes to have mechanical spiders in his movies. Fantastic. And tries to shoehorn them in at any point possible. Now, the other change that Burton makes is that Sam Hamm was replaced as writer for the film. Oh, fuck. So Don't Ham get rid of Sam Ham. <laughs> oh no, I know. How do you uh, even fire a man named Sam Ham? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can listen to our Batman episode to learn what his real name is and why Sam was a great oh, choice. Uh, poor Sam Ham. Ham at this stage had already written a few drafts of the film. I believe he might have written two by this point. And Ham's vision for the film was aimed to pretty much continue the story. So basically, after the '89 film was released. Uh, Warner Brothers hires Ham to start writing the the next version, Ham and so we're at the Ham. point where, uh, without Tim Burton's involvement, Ham's gone on to write the next instalment. So his in his vision for the film was actually to continue the story after the events of the 1989 Batman. At this stage, Bruce Wayne and Vicky Vale are now engaged, and the film would see Bruce Ma- with Bruce Wayne trying to maintain a normal quote unquote normal ah. relationship while also being the protector of Gotham. Yeah. Now, meanwhile, both Catwoman and Penguin 
would team up in order to frame Batman for the murders of some of Gotham's elite. Yeah. So we can see here that the Riddler is gone from the movie. Yeah. Focused on uh, Catwoman. And in this, the murders of Gotham's elite turns, the aim is to turn Gotham against Batman. Yep. Pretty much what happens in most Batman movies. Uh, <laughs> while all this is happening, both Catwoman and Penguin are searching for a secret treasure that has been hidden in Gotham. Awesome. So they're hunting for treasure. Damn, it could be like a national treasure type <laughs> film. <laughs> now, their quest for the treasure would lead them all the way to Wayne Manor and also leads them to uncover some hidden secrets from the Wayne family's past. Ooh, slave trade. Yeah. In Ham's iteration, Catwoman was far more sexualized than we get in the Tim Burton version. How can you be, apart in, from just being porn? Including her outfit being her wearing bondage gear. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, she would pretty much nonchalantly just approach a group of men and just kill them throughout the film. Flop out a dildo. And and the penguin was really quite fascinating as well, Craig. The penguin was more of a bird-themed villain who actually used birds as weapons. So not actually a grotesque, deformed penguin yeah, of a man. Just a dude. It was actually a man that trained birds to be his weapons. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, so visually, that'd be hard. Yeah. <laughs> Very like back true. Back at that time. You yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the film was... Here, really. Sam Ham's the Hitchcock one that Hitchcock did it about ten. 15, yeah, I thought I did think about the birds. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so the film's set at Christmas time at this point, and would actually, in Sam Ham's uh, script, is to feature the first appearance of Robin oh. in the film series. Now, within Batman Returns, Robin was to be a mechanic who assists Batman in repairing the Batmobile following a crash with a battle with the Penguin. Yeah. So then he gets brought into things from there. Um, early versions of the film also, sort of before Catwoman was a part of it, would see Billy D. Williams return as Harvey Dent. Yeah. And the aim was to have that we would witness his descent into Two-Face. Now, the storyline got scrapped pretty early on by Warner Brothers because they felt that Two-Face wasn't a well-enough-known villain, so they needed to go for someone that was bigger. And basically... Um, the if you earlier mentioned earlier that um the villains themselves were going to be the Riddler and the Penguin, these got sort of shuffled around later and moved to the third film. But basically, Two Face is pretty much uh, carbon copied and replaced by uh, Max Shrek later. Ah, uh, okay, yeah. What becomes Max Shrek? And so Sam Ham works on two drafts of the film, and when Burton then starts sort of recommencing his development of the film. It's and with his newly appointed creative powers, Craig, mm. uh, he doesn't connect with uh, Ham's drafts. In actual fact, he's quite harsh in his description. He just says, "I didn't find them interesting." Okay, and so as a result, the awkward and direct, <laughs> very much so, Craig. <laughs> so, what didn't you find interesting? I have to go now. <laughs> So what Mr. Burton was saying is that there were parts of the <laughs> I love it. This this little guy running around with a headset on. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> a little um, clipboard. <laughs> so as a result, Burton replaces Ham as writer for the project. Now, Ham's replacement was a gentleman named Daniel Waters. Now, Waters was brought in to work on the project in the mid-1990s and given pretty much two clear instructions. So... Catwoman needed to be more of a sexy vixen as opposed to some sort of sexual fetish fantasy woman. 
Um, Burton really felt uncomfortable with just how fetishy she was. Especially that arse-to-arse scene with oh. the penguin at the end. <laughs> oh. That was just wrong. Oh. <laughs> what are you going to do with this, Batman? Ass-to-ass. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me, Craig. Um, the, 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 it's just a traumatised scene, man. Oh, my the gosh. Scene, just for those who don't know it. We are going to talk Marlon Wayans in a minute. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, the other the other proviso that, that Burton had was the script needed to have no connection to the 89 Batman. So he didn't want it to be a continuation of the story. It basically had to live as its own entity. And the only time that he was lenient in this was in the film they refer to Wayne's ex-girlfriend, to Vicky. Vicky Vale, yeah. at one point. Talks so, about, it almost just pisses off Sam Hamm to talk about the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, we didn't get along together, you know. It was hard me being this and the duality of what might do and stuff like that. That just pisses you up at Sam Hamm again. He's just basically doing my script in one scene. <laughs> well, it's really interesting. I wrote this down for a later discussion, but we can talk about it now. Um, that actually, Waters, his script that gets made, actually has quite a lot of dialogue. And while they were shooting, um, Michael Keaton actually decided that he felt like Batman had too many lines. So Keaton actually went through and cut the majority of dialogue out of the film. So he was more of a silent character, the Batman. I trust yeah, I trust and, Keaton. And so, yeah, I find that a really fascinating thing because Keaton really starts bringing what becomes the standard for Batman in that creative decision. Yeah. Because future iterations of Batman, like you think about... He's not the exposition character. No, he definitely is not, is he? No, no, no. It's a, But like any any of those brooding types are never meant to be, you know what I mean? No. Like you don't see... Um, you don't see people like in that same year. You didn't see William Money from Unforgiven talk about much about his life. No, not at all. Mm. And we love the fact that there's the mystery around what yeah, had exactly. transpired there. So um, Waters begins sinking his teeth into the script and the version of Batman Returns we now know begins to take shape. One of the major changes was to remove Harvey Dent out of that and he ultimately gets swapped out for an original character by Waters we now know as Max Shrek. Uh, the The idea was to write an evil industrialist who becomes the man behind the mayoral campaign of the Penguin. And actually it was really interesting in my it's research. Odd choice. Well, do you know what's really interesting is it's pulled from a really old comic and there was a two comic run where a evil industrialist helps the penguin become mayor of Gotham. Yeah, see that's one of the it's one of those weird things that I think are sort of overused in um comic books and comic book tropes is that everyone has a successful fucking business. Yes. You know, even the villains I'm like, who's buying from who here? This guy's storing power. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How big is Gotham? Oh, wow. But it looks like all he owns is like, he's like, all he owns is like a Myers. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like uh, a fucking David Jones. David uh, Jones come to go, Shreks. <laughs> yeah. For, for those anywhere else, David Jones and Myers are pretty much like the ritzy like department store yeah, in exactly. Australia. I don't know what a ritzy department store in the States is. Yeah, me either. Yeah. yeah, somewhere fancy. Like, Where's that place at, where at, like Buddy a, the Elf works in uh, in Elf? That yeah. looks like a bougie sort of place. Yeah, that's a bougie place. I don't know what it's called though. But that's it. Yeah, someone one. someone in the US is going. Ugh, that's definitely not bougie. Yeah, true, true. Oh, there's places I've yeah, I'm trying to remember them now in New York. 
No, whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm over this joke. In one, of, in, <laughs> in, in one of his drafts, Shrek actually was also uh, the iterations. Shrek was actually written as the older brother of the penguin. And the whole way that their characters oh, would play wow. out is that Shrek had actually been not deformed. He'd actually been fully fledged yeah. uh, and and quite able bodied so the parents discarded the the disabled brother i sort of like that yeah so that was the the idea i like that idea um now waters and burton both felt very strongly against having robin in the film they didn't want him in the film at all and they thought it was quite lazy to put him in they they actually felt robin was a character that didn't have a lot of substance to bring to the storyline yeah, And so by having him in there, they weren't pretty happy about it. So during this rewriting process, they're actually able to remove Robin for the film. Now, I wanted to take a little moment here and talk about Marlon Wayans. And I'm Good glad you Marlon. talked uh, a bit of his film there. Uh, but Craig and I, years ago, had a opportunity to sit down at a press conference. Yep. And it was for G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. <laughs> now in this in this press conference we had uh I believe it was uh Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum was there, Marlon Wayans was there. Uh, uh the Yep, the lady chick from Level Nine, whatever it's called. I know her name. Yeah, it's Sienna Nichols? Miller. Rachel Nichols. Rachel Nichols was there, that's right. Yes. Sienna Miller was there. Because I, I thought I think she's freaking beautiful. Um and they also had director Stephen Um Summons. That's his name. Uh, he was there, and writer Stuart Beatty, who oh, we yes, did have Stu. on for our uh, our collateral episode last year for my man. You can check that one out. Um, they were they came in on a speedboat. We were yeah. down by the water in Darling Harbour in Sydney. No, no, I wasn't there. You weren't. I no, was I wasn't there, there, Craig. Man. Yeah, that's right. I just remember the photos. So, well, I could tell this story then. Yeah, um, go for it, man. So, I walk in, and there are lots of people doing flippies off the wall, doing parkour inside the uh, wool Ooh, shed, the really? old wool shed we're in. But the guys came in on the boat, and they sat down. So, during the conversation, Marlon Wayans starts pretty much like an ADHD child, uh, just starts going on about how he loves to talk to people, rah, rah, rah. Did hand out... In, he handed out his mobile phone number if anyone wanted to give him a phone call. Uh, it, it was very funny. But he actually talked about in there, um, someone said, is this your first uh, opportunity playing an action hero? And he actually said, well, no, I was actually cast in uh, Tim Burton's Batman Returns. To which everyone sort of did a little, what? and it turns out that he had been hired as Robin in Tim Burton's Batman. Now, Tim Burton was very um, clear that if he was going to have a Robin, he wanted it to be a black Robin. Yep. And so they searched for a young, up-and-coming African-American actor who could be it, and Marlon Wayans was selected. Now, he was cast as, in the credits, he's listed as the kid. Yeah. Not Robin. He's named the kid, and Is his name turns up in the title credits. He doesn't make an appearance at all. Okay. Now, very, um, he got so far into the process, his character was cut so late in the in the process yeah. that he had uh, screen testing, he had costume testing. They'd even gone as far as making action figures of him. Yeah. So somewhere out there, there should be Marlon Wayans' Robin action figures from Batman Returns, which I'm sure would be worth a but pretty penny. The problem was he couldn't hang up his clothes in Kung Fu style. Is that right? What? <laughs> Did you remember how Robin gets introduced in the next one? No. Do you remember? 
I know he's doing the trapeze act. Yeah, he does the trapeze act, but they're at the house, and then um, he goes, "Do you want me to hang up your clothes for you, Mister Grayson?" And he does this weird martial arts thing as he's stretching out the clothes and and dries out the clothes by throwing them on the martial arts, like doing these like nunchuckers with his red shirts and shit, hanging them up on the shelf. Because no, I got it. (laughs) Just go. That's fucking. I forgot I'd about be like, that crap. Douche, just hang it up properly. You've stretched out the shirt. We are going to talk Batman and Robin and cool. Batman Forever a bit later too, Craig. But uh, Marlon Wayne, so basically he was paid $100,000 for the film. And during the press conference for G.I. Joe, he stated that he still gets paid residuals for that film based on that contract Fantastic. to this date. And he was living off it. Now, Marlon Wayans obviously does not get hired for the next film nope. and intelligently had a clause in his contract to say that he would continue to be paid residuals despite not being hired for the next oh. film. Um, so he gets removed from the film. And basically, Waters goes on to write five drafts of the film, including a 160-page epic first draft. Ooh. Now, for those at home, generally, one page equals one minute of yep. the movie. So we're talking a two-and-a-half-hour Batman Returns. Uh, now, sadly, Waters himself ultimately falls out with Tim Burton. Oh. And it's a, about disagreements about the script. Basically, the long and short of it is that Burton asked to make some changes and Waters started refusing to make them. And ultimately, Burton is uh, forced to bring in a, another writer just to take the film to where he hoped it would get to. So he brings in Wesley Strick. Now, around the early 90s, Strick was one of the people known, he was known as the script doctor and would be brought in on products given really no recognition in terms of credits, and he would just come in and really punch a script up to get it to the point where they could shoot. Tim, uh, who's this? <laughs> this is strict. He fixes dead scripts. <laughs> so what Mr. Burton was saying is that we actually don't need you anymore. This I'm is strict here this. to actually just pepper up. So um, if you could just leave right now. Thank you. Okay, Have bye. You- have you seen his short Frankenweenie? <laughs> Basically, uh, Wesley is the Frankenweenie yeah, of... Yeah, <laughs> guy who fixes that script. Yeah, so because Tim thinks it's dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually really funny. That, so in my research showed that Strick goes on to do the rewrite Yep. He basically works on a fair chunk of um, – he really wanted to streamline the dialogue, so it felt like the dialogue was getting a bit too waffly. Yeah. Uh, so really bring that in. There has to be waffly. And he actually felt like the tone of the film needed to be lightened. It was just too dark. Ooh. So yeah, it must have been that. really dark. Um, now – Sensing there could be a chance to bring in a little bit more, rein in a little of that creative control, Warner Brothers jumps on this opportunity and oh, states God. that Strick needs to make sure that in the in the plot that there is a master plan that the Penguin has. So at this point, the Penguin doesn't really have any reason why he's running for mayor and what his ultimate end game is. Okay, yeah, that's you know, true, it's sort yeah. of to become the mayor. But what happens beyond that? That is a little shoehorned when you think about it. Yeah. So yeah, I know. So where you're going with so this. they bring as part of this. Strick has to then design a master plan, an evil plan, so to speak. It's a fucking and stupid. He plan. brings in this idea 
that the penguin is going to kidnap Gotham's firstborn sons, so and that stupid. there would be missile Gotham wielding must be a penguin. village. Because <laughs> <laughs> the guys have got like two cages. Yeah, like what the fuck, bro? <laughs> and and so it's really funny because that is one of the things. And Waters in previous uh, in in later press conferences says, like the whole penguins thing at the end is just stupid. It yeah. makes no sense. And so this is and something... actually doesn't even last long. No, it's it's like it gets resolved within the first very quickly within five minutes of it being kicked off. Yeah, it's one of the worst like plans ever. Yeah, it's it's really well, it's shoehorned, isn't it? Yeah, he's, so, like, he's mad it, shoehorned. Yeah. And so Strick's not given any writing credits on the film, despite his work. And his work actually include being on set for the four months of shooting, while at any point if they needed to, he would do rewrites on the fly. Man, I love this Strick guy, man. So he did that. Now, they also, after Strick's um, script was sort of punched up, they gave it back to Waters, who did one more rewrite over it. Oh, okay. So Waters wasn't kicked out straight away, but Strick was on uh, on call for any sort of changes on set. You're not exactly fired, um, Daniel. We still want you around. Just, just go home and have a rest. You're looking stressed, <laughs> and we'll give you a call. Okay? That's right. Okay. That's, right. That's right. That's right. But tell Tim... Tim's busy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he's just on the phone with Johnny. Yeah. Um, so now this is the part of the episode that I know Craig and a lot of our listeners at home hang for. Ooh. Let's talk casting. Casting. So while all this planning and scripting is taking place, all the drama sort of of the story is under yep. unfolding, uh, they begin the casting process. Now, yeah. as I mentioned before, uh, once the first Batman film is released. Warner's are really keen to start on what is known as Batman Two at that point, and uh, so they start talking to Michael Keaton about we want to make a sequel. And Keaton, who had a one contract deal, was actually quite hesitant to sign on. Now, one of those reasons he didn't want to sign on one was Burton hadn't signed on either, yep. but the other was the fact that he was paid five million dollars for a film that took four hundred million dollars. Yeah. And probably when he heard the fact Nicholson that got Jack like Nicholson got still getting paid, yep, a <laughs> lot of money. Uh, it's understandable that Michael Keaton was sort of like, I think I'm worth a little bit more money yeah. for this project. So he holds out for a little bit more money, and you could see that uh, to kick off a sequel to this film without the leading man, considering that franchises weren't really that big a deal. Yeah, exactly. Um, at that point. Uh, it's pretty crucial to have Keaton on board for the sequel. So they spend quite a lot of time without both Burton and Keaton on board. Now, finally, Warner Brothers settles and they negotiate with Keaton and agree for $10 million for Michael Keaton to come back for the sequel. So he doubles his money. Now, moving on to the Penguin, Craig. Ooh. Now, yeah. Tim Burton actually started looking at his casting. Uh, Ron based- Howard's brother. <laughs> 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 I was surprised he wasn't one of those evil clowns. I know, I <laughs> uh, he, he's made for it. But Tim Burton actually had a bit of an outlandish casting dream for the Penguin. Now you've got to remember at this point when he's talking this casting, it's actually based not upon the grotesque, deformed Penguin that we get, but this but, evil bird training. Oh, villain. okay, yeah, this okay. is the Birdman. And so at this point, so he starts talking about who he'd really like. And his number one pick was Marlon Brando. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, following Warner Brothers' experience on Superman yep. 
and the insane sort of stories that came out of those 70s Marlon, Marlon Brando, Brando film. <laughs> um, Marlon to Dr. Moreau. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Warner Brothers are understandably a little hesitant to have Marlon Brando involved in this project. So they start creating a short list of actors that they believe could play the the um, the Birdman. Yeah, penguin, Birdman. Um, which was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, true. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, always. And Robert De Niro. Were their three choices? Jesus, man, they're fucking aiming for the fences. Like Christopher Lloyd, obviously, yeah. Christopher Lloyd would have been really good. Yeah, like in that Birdman, you know, Rick and Morty type yep. fucking fashion. Yeah, but um, yeah, De Niro's Rick and Morty. What big, am I talking about? Back to the Future. Back to the Future. <laughs> but you know, I'm referencing the one that's referencing. Yep. Yeah, I love no. it. Um, but once Daniel Waters comes on and they really start to mold that character of Penguin to the grotesque human hybrid, the bird hybrid, uh. There's only one person that they wanted, and that was Danny DeVito. Man. Now, there's only certain there's certain actors at certain times that can only do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Waters talks about as he wrote this version, he wrote it for Danny DeVito. So in his mind, there was no one else. Burton wanted him, and the studio wanted him. Now, Burton wanted him so much that he reached out to, to him, and DeVito was a little bit hesitant at first. So Burton painted... Danny DeVito a picture oh, yes. depicting Danny DeVito as a penguin and with a big sort of uh, and delivered it to him as a little gift to show this is what you could look like. Now, he was still really sort of hesitant about it. And so DeVito reaches out to one of his friends to ask some advice around this. Now, Danny DeVito's friend was Jack Nicholson. Oh, who says to Danny DeVito, you can make a fuck Man. ton of money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly what he said, Craig. <laughs> Along those lines, probably probably very similar. Probably very lines. similar. But that was the the rationale that uh, that Jack Nicholson gave to Danny DeVito. So Danny DeVito then goes, okay. And mm. I couldn't find out exactly how much money Danny DeVito made, but I'd hazard a guess that it's probably a lot more kept than Mr. Michael Keaton. Kept Keaton. him in fish. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we're going to move on to the role of Catwoman now, Craig. And Tim Burton actually initially hired Annette Benning in the role of Catwoman. Which would which is in an inspired yep. casting. Yeah. Like thinking of Very Annette Benning at that time and her feminine, like she has a cat-like look without... Without the suit? Yes. Um, like her facial structure and everything. I could just see, you know, you see it and you go, yeah, I understand that. I understand Totally, that. totally. And everything really seemed to be moving along quite nicely until one day uh, Annette Benning approaches Tim Burton and they're quite close to filming at this yeah. point. Um, Burton, uh, she reaches out to him and says, hey, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And the, the news that she shared was that she was pregnant and as a result, she wouldn't be able to take part in the film. Yeah. Uh, now, this means that the role of Catwoman was up for grabs, and it actually became one of those hottest roles where everyone was lobbying for yeah. it. Like, anyone who was anyone wanted this film. Now, a list of actors who actually put their hand up, and the, the, the list was massive, so I cut a whole heap off it, but this is the sort of talent that we're, we're vying for this role. Ellen Barkin wanted it. No. Madonna wanted it. God, no. Bridget Fonda wanted it? Possibly. Sure? No. Susan Sarandon? She has the allure. Raquel Welch? Wow. Yeah. And 
Sean Young. Now, if we rewind a little bit, Craig knows where we're going here, so this is awesome. But if we rewind a little bit to our Batman episode a few weeks ago, you remember that Sean Young had been cast as Vicky Vale, not Kim Basinger. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Sean Young was horse riding and fell off and broke her arm and had to pull it, pull out of the film because of that. Now, with a chance to enter the world of Batman again, Young decided it was time to pull out all the stops. She wanted this role like you wouldn't believe. Now, reportedly, she created her own Catwoman suit. Yep. Dressed in that Catwoman suit. Yep. And walked through the Warner Brothers lot trying to find Tim Burton so she could plead her case as to why she should be there. Now, Tim Burton was interviewed and asked if this actually had happened, and he said, yes, it did. And during the entire time, I hid under my desk so that she could not talk to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But (laughs) No, Sean. Go away. (laughs) Mr. Burton's busy. (laughs) Mr. Burton's busy. So, reportedly, Sean Young burst into the production offices on the Warner Brothers lot. Uh, Tim Burton hides under his desk. And she finds producer Mark Canton and Michael Keaton in a room together. Sean Young burst through the door, leapt over the couch, and screamed, I am Catwoman! Rawr! (laughs) (laughs) Now, Uh, Oh, my God. Understandably... They were a little shocked. Um, Mark, <laughs> Mark Canton, the producer, says both he and Michael Keaton looked at each other and said, wow. <laughs> Sean, is that you in there? <laughs> now, uh, understandably, Sean Young doesn't get the role of Catwoman in this instance. Fuck. It was pretty out there. Look, you've got to give her props. That's, oh, no, that's, man, that's going that's all bravery. out for a role. That's funny. It? The funny thing is if she would have got it and she would have fucking got an awesome role, this would be one of Hollywood lore, but yeah. in a good way. Yep, 100%, as yeah. opposed to a slightly crazy person role. Uh, yeah, it's a, role but seriously, it. she went on a TV show. I've seen it. You've seen the talk show? She went on the talk show. Please, yeah. I'll Do you know find, which one it is? No, 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 but I'll find it. Find and, it and I'll put post it on the it socials. Definitely. It's, yeah. You got Sean it. Young was on a talk show dressed fully as Catwoman. Lobbying for this role. Yep. Love it. So she doesn't get the role, and someone who is cast in the role is a relatively unknown actor at the time, Michelle Pfeiffer. Now, this goes on to be seen as inspired casting, and uh, and she does... Have oh oh gosh, Craig has found the footage. Oh man, it Joan is Rivers show scary. Like the Joan Rivers absolutely. Show. Oh wow, scary. she really is. Yeah, she dresses full in Catwoman outfit. It is hardcore, and she basically gets up on the stage and then starts like whipping and everything like that. Oh, it is wow. one of the most. Oh, here here here. Is it like cringy? Oh Jeff. my gosh, she's got a mask and everything. Yeah, she Craig. has a mask and everything. Guys, go oh. to YouTube, Craig, type in Sean Young on Letterman and type in Catwoman. Oh, wow. And Ooh. she does it. She she, she must have done a range of, um, well, she was on Letterman too. And Joan Rivers. Oh, wow. She, she must was have done a range rounds. of them. She Good was doing on the her, man. That is disturbing, but awesome. Cool little Michelle Pfeiffer fact I found out as well, Craig. Oh, I love Michelle Pfeiffer fact. Pfeiffer fact. You know the scene in the department store where she uh, uses her whip and whips the head off the mannequins? Yeah. 
that was the first time she tried that. And oh, she serious? did it in one take. Which, 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 which. Sexy. So cool. That just fucking so turns cool. me on. <laughs> uh, also <laughs> cast in the film, Christopher Walken as Max Shrek, Marlon Wayans as Robin, as we talked about. Yep. and um, As Invisible Robin. Invisible Robin, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. And um, basically the plan was... Undercover Robin. He's just a spy who just fucking wrote. Love it. So basically the aim was then to have Robin, after he was written out of the second film, appear in the third film, along with Robin Williams. And um, I I believe the the film was to also have Catwoman following on. Oh, yeah, makes sense. Interestingly enough, Craig, the the role of Catwoman was so... um, Iconic and tested so well, she was actually set to die at the end of the film. Oh, really? Yeah. And so uh, I love that Burton really wanted to play with the idea of the mythology around the nine lives yeah. and, and made that a part of her journey. But for Catwoman, she was meant to die when we see her at the end yeah. um, with Max Shrek. And then the, the footage that we get at the end, which is her standing up looking at the bat signal at the end of the film that was actually added post by warner brothers and it's not michelle pfeiffer in the suit it's a totally different person in the suit looking up at it because their intention was actually to make a catwoman spin-off film starring michelle pfeiffer Ah, that they went with hal berry well that that comes on down the track doesn't it craig shit man i actually don't think i've ever seen it i've I remember watching um, like the first 20 minutes on an airplane once. Yeah, wow. And that was it. I was like, nah, I can't do this. That was all you had in you? Yeah, that's all I had in me. (laughs) And I'm on an airplane. I had nowhere else to fucking go. And I think I just like, I'll just look at the back of the seat. (laughs) So funny. We did this flight. And I remember we were flying from Sydney to Perth. So for those not in Australia, that's about a six and a half hour flight to get across. And basically... um, the the plane that we were on just kept turning off as we were like on the runway. Yeah. So I had to return the plane on over and over again. It's over fucking terrifying, Jack. I know, Craig. I know. But it was it was something they kept saying it was to do with the air conditioner. So it was just to do with the air conditioning. <laughs> no, so, someone didn't have airplane mode on so, there. <laughs> <laughs> but so it was one of those ones that had the screens on the back of the seat still. Yeah. Uh, one of the last sort of planes must have been. So I started watching Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water. Now, the first five minutes of Guillermo del Toro's Shape of Water. Have you seen Shape of Water, Craig? I've ironically watched the first five minutes. Which, <laughs> I you know, know what, what happens about. in yeah, the first yeah. five minutes. is essentially it shows a woman's routine every morning yeah. where she has a bath, masturbates, then gets ready for work and then off she goes. And unfortunately, Craig, the thing that happened every time my seat reset was it started the film all over again. So everyone on the plane, before we'd even taken off, watched me watch that scene five or six times on the plane. Mate, the same happened to me. I was watching Game of Thrones <laughs> and it was Tywin Lannister inside the, with the, like the first episode oh, in golly. the bed with all those prostitutes. And the lady comes on, lamb or chicken? <laughs> I was like, um, um, um. Fish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. So, Greg, <laughs> they begin filming in September 1991. Yep. Now, Burton actually, the 89 film, as we learned, had all their sets on Pinewood lots. They'd yep. been paying $2 million to keep a guard 
underway looking after him. Burton actually wasn't keen on returning to the UK to film. Now, he felt that the 89 <laughs> film actually suffered from a British subtext. So he oh, felt really? that a British culture had sort of infiltrated the film and taken away from what we see in there the film. In Star Wars. In Star Wars? Yeah. And they're all done in, over in the UK. Yeah, that's very true. So he didn't want that to happen to the sequel. So he decided he's going to flex those creative muscles again. Go muscles. Getting pretty ripped. <laughs> and he has the, the filming move to the Warner Brothers lot in California. Now, reportedly, the sets were so that big. poor fucking security guard. I know. All those years, get down the drain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to burn this to the ground. He was the top of the security guard who padded the, the designs before they left. Oh, we had some time. We had some time. <laughs> uh, like like a, the old bell tower from fucking part one. <laughs> just patting a bell. Oh, remember that time? He's I got an English accent, you. though. <laughs> oh, yeah, Show long, love. Show long, love. Oh, well. Back, um, to, back to the fishes. You sent me a little photo <laughs> of this, Craig, but reportedly the sets were so big. Uh, for the Batman Returns film that 50% of the Warner Brother lot was taken up with the streets of Gotham. Damn. They are some big-ass sets. That is huge. Uh, by all accounts, everyone that was involved said it was a really collaborative and enjoyable shoot. Uh, Christopher Walken talks at length about how much fun they had. Oh, really? The That'd be yeah. awesome. Uh, which is really cool. Filming takes place uh, for just under six months. And was completed by February 92. Now, there is so much that we could talk about about the filming process, uh, it, whether it's to talk about uh, Stan Winston's amazing work on Danny DeVito's penguin suit, which yeah. uh, in some scenes they had to have a cooling system fitted to it because there was so much padding on that thing that he was um, just overheating all the time. Yeah. Uh, in other scenes, they took the cooling system out because the padding thing was the only stop thing stopping him from having hypothermia in the <laughs> giant refrigerator scenes that he was in. Um, another thing that I saw as well was Danny DeVito was actually the one who came up with the idea of the black saliva. Oh, man, that's filthy shit. It is I love quite it. filthy. I love it. It's a beautiful aesthetic, man. It certainly is, isn't it? It's got this, I don't know, it turns him from a penguin into like... He becomes squid-like. It's but it, so it, it gross. increases his um, his like gnarl. You know, yeah, what I mean? it like does. Does like it? when he does, a, yeah, yeah, and he talks like that. Yeah. yeah, and 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 it's like, and you just see that black saliva, and you just go, man, that's fucking gross. He's so hardcore in it, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. It's so gross. Oh, another thing that I found as well in the filming that was really crazy. They, as always, um, they do lots. Burton is big on practical as opposed to, yeah. you know, stunt people and things like that. So uh, Pfeiffer did a lot of her stunts. Awesome. She did, uh, as we mentioned, the she whip, herself, the whip scene. Won't... No, but oh, you good. know the bird scene. She's my white gold. Where she puts the bird in her mouth yeah. and does that. That is actually her putting a real bird in there. Oh, really? And let a real bird go. I couldn't do that because I would be afraid the bird would have to be scared and shits itself. <laughs> well, she says in hindsight that it was probably not good, like in terms of thinking about her health and potential danger, it wasn't a good idea. But it's just one of those things where people the bright are... Side, if it was a Weinstein movie, you'd put more in your mouth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. God. I'm sorry I went there. I didn't know where that one came from you know sometimes you just have an idea where you know you have an idea where things come from i don't know where that one came that from. that was quick Craig. oh my gosh sorry guys so sorry quick. everyone back on point 
All right, we're going to regather ourselves here, Craig, and moving on. So filming <laughs> takes place for just under six months and it's completed by about February 92. Now, for a major fran- franchise sort of film, yeah. this one is actually viewed as one of the sort of front runners in marketing. Now, a film really hadn't been marketed in this way, uh, which was to really take it to all right, we're going to purposely market this as families and we're going to tackle big marketing campaigns such as McDonald's. Yeah. So this is the first film that really has taken this hardcore. So the film itself with, uh, we talked about their box office takings, is about $266 worldwide. The film itself ends up taking nearly $1.5 billion in, in profit thanks to the amount of marketing and franchising that they did on this film. McDonald's alone reportedly was $500 million. Well, I can't remember any of it. So the McDonald's meal, um, I remember the Batman Forever probably a bit better. Yeah, I remember those those ones a bit better because I think they had the they're glasses. more aimed at toys. Yeah, but... Because I remember the glass. Yeah, I remember the, the tumblers. Yeah, the tumblers. Yeah, yeah, and it's got the friggin' had it. Two well, Face Jeff, and yeah, Riddler. And, it had the, and they had the question marks on them yep. and shit. Yeah. Yeah, Jeff. Two Face had the coins as the handle. Yes, Jeff. Damn. Yeah, and it was like glass glass. Yeah, it was glass glass. Um, they still sold some glass. They sold a glass glass ones not long ago. Really? Yeah, so it wasn't. it's a non-spill glass. It was still a tumbler. I, I drink my bourbon in it. <laughs> <laughs> and so it tilts. It tilts and never tips over. So uh, I do have to apologize. The $500 million was McDonald's, figurines, things like that. But McDonald's really played a big part of this. Yeah. Um, they were meals aimed at marketing for Batman. Now, they may not have brought that to an international market, but really in the US, they focus very big on the marketing and, and the franchising. So as we said, uh, the film's released... On June 19, 1992, takes $266 million, but by no means loses money because it was a huge money spinner in the franchising and uh, post-market sort of market. It was met with a mixed response. Now, the darkness of the tone was really, really confronting for a lot of people. It is. And as an adult now watching it, I'm like, walls up. Yeah, it is dark as shit, man. And... The dark tone actually got the merchandises offside as well. Yeah. So uh, McDonald's in particular were really quite concerned about how they could sell meals aimed at kids when Penguin has black saliva pouring out of his mouth frequently. That's um, what most McDonald's people look like. I've watched enough viral videos to see some people dress like the fucking Penguin inadvertently dressed, looking like the penguin going up and ordering Mac. <laughs> and they're getting angry that their sauce wasn't there once they got that black shit dripping out. The, but they've just got ketchup running out of their mouth instead of black <laughs> sauce. Sweet and sour sauce. Sweet. <laughs> I love it, Craig. So the, the, the tone also plays a major part in what was to be Tim Burton's third film, yeah. In the Batman sequel, which is the tone and the response from people like McDonald's really puts Warner Brothers offside. They're not very keen on having Burton involved in another Batman film. Okay, at this I, stage. I, I see that now that they're starting to make money. Yeah. And yeah, it, totally. it does go that way, Hoops. And and so what ends up becoming Batman Forever is an out and out. We look at it Batman as... Batman Forever the next one. Yeah. 
with Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer. Yeah, with Riddler, Two Face, Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Um, Uma Thurman's the one after that, isn't she? Um, yes. So, yes. Yeah, Batman Forever's the, eyes the response to the the dark tone of Burton's film. And so, if it wasn't for Burton's dark tone, like if it had been toned down a little bit more, we might have got a third Burton film yeah. featuring Robin Williams as the Riddler. Uh, back with Pfeiffer for another run at Catwoman. Um, and so it's really interesting because Tim Burton gets asked. It was to be called Batman Continues. Yeah. Um, Burton was asked about it and he says, I remember toying with the idea of doing another one. I remember going into Warner Brothers and having a meeting. I'm like, we could do this and we can do that. And they go, Tim, don't you want to do like a smaller movie now? About half an hour into the meeting, I go, oh, you don't want me to make another one, do you? And they go, oh, no, 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 no. And I just said, no, I know you don't. And so we just stopped it right there. <laughs> uh, Mr. Burns just left. <laughs> <laughs> Where did Tim go? Oh, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> and so that sort of gets to the point where we reach and the film is then released. We're not going to have any more Burton Batman. Yeah. He does dabble a bit later on in another superhero um, sort of <laughs> film yeah. starring Nicolas Cage. It never gets realised, Craig. I know. And it'd be really interesting. We are going to take a look at that film. His next film after this is Ed Wood. <laughs> so he does go off and make a little film as his next film. Um, but that's pretty much the whole journey of the film in a nutshell, Craig. It's quite an epic film yeah. journey. Yeah. For him. And I'm looking forward to our Edward episode so we can just find out how it was for Burton after the film's released. Yeah, exactly. So, and Edward, man, it's just a sharp turn, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. I'm I've really only hoping, watched Edward once. Me, I've never seen it, I don't think so. So I'm really looking forward. To, I'm hoping this is one of those ones where you go. John Landis got an Academy Award for it. Not did John he? Landis, fucking John Landau. I do love John Landau. So I'm looking forward to it. So I'd love to know, Craig, we're not going to have a big chat about the film itself this week because this is a two-part episode. Yeah, exactly. We've had a good chat about the journey to screen. But before we sort of get to our our wrapping up and we're going to do ranking this week as yeah. well, uh, but the chat around the film itself, you're here next week with our good friend Blake oh, Howard. Oh, yay! He's returning. You heard him last season talking about And he's not Howard's little brother. He's not uh, at all. But Blake, we found out this is actually his favourite Batman movie. He got a tattoo. He has a Michael Keaton tattoo that he showed us during mm. the interview. And we have a great chat about how we feel about the film. We tell a few stories about our early journey with the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. Um, but I'd love to know, Craig, going into watching this movie, what do you expect? Watching this one? Yes. I expected something very similar to the first one. Really? Like 89 version. Just, I, I, and it, I was totally wrong. Yeah, so. It's dark, man. It's very dark. It's dark, it? and, dark and horny. Yes. Like just dark and horny, man. Yeah. Like in just these weird ways. And like, you know, like how he even convinces the penguin to run because he gets poontang. And yeah. And he's like, this is just a dark and horny film. Like, you know, I have nothing wrong with that. It's basically, it was just not what I expected. Yeah, it totally was a bit of a left field turn. Like I knew, ever. you know, I knew sexy wise, fucking sexy. Yeah. You know, penguins are fucking hot, dude. <laughs> the flipper. 
gross. The flu would be awesome, man. So gross. It would be awesome. You know it would be awesome. He said that, didn't you he, just, in the movie? But I'll give her the flipper. I'll give her the flipper. Oh, golly. Yeah, but like fingers add, fingers add Craig, friction. It's so If you've got gross. a flipper. If you've got a flipper. It's so it gross. It wouldn't be as much friction. Nope. nope. No, I'm just I'm, telling you, Jeff. Nope. <laughs> the worst thing would just be like if you had to spit on it and it's just black. Spit. Craig. It'd just be like fucking throwing soy sauce on nope. it. <laughs> nope. Nope. <laughs> Please don't all over your face. No, Craig. <laughs> Sorry, go. <Karen>. No. <laughs> oh, golly. When was uh, the last time you saw this movie, Craig? <laughs> I saw this. Uh, like, years, man. Hey, at least 10, 15 years. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's a big, that's big time. Yeah, it's big time. It's, it's weird. You know how you have those movies that you're just like, I love that movie. And then someone goes, when did you last watch it? I think I was seven, eight. <laughs> you know, yeah, 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 like yeah. even though that's more than 10, 15 years ago for me. But um, yeah, it's one of those movies where I just, I loved it so much. I never really had to return to it. It's weird, isn't it? Mm. I was the same. I, I thought I'd watched it more recently. I saw it. I checked. It was like 2011 when I last watched this movie. So we're mm. talking 11 years. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. So my memory of Batman Returns was tonally what I thought the first Batman was going to be. Yeah. And so then when I got to this one, I guess I was half expecting that it wouldn't be as dark as it was because the first one was lighter. Yeah, exactly. Do you know I what just I mean? thought it was just like it was a light movie in a dark room. Yep. You know what I mean? It's just but this one was just dark in a dark room. It's literally Burton at his grimiest, isn't it? It is. And there's not much there's Hope. not much light. In yeah, there. you know, yeah, there's not yeah, much. Yeah. There's not. Yeah, I, 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 I can understand as a if I was like an exec who's just invested so much money in advertising yeah. for this film, I'd be like, I can't put this on a fucking Happy Meal. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you know Bill, I can't put this on a Happy Meal. <laughs> nah, this isn't gonna work, Bill. No, exactly. It's like an evil hamburger. <laughs> 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 he couldn't even do it, man. It's like, no. oh my goodness, it's so interesting, isn't it? Um, I just want to, I don't want to stop us from talking about the film, but I know that we have a great chat next. Oh, week. we already we have, have a great chat. I'm, um, but it's worth it. I wanna, I wanna just push to what do you, what do you get then, Craig? So we at least give people what we got. Doesn't have to be a huge chat about the yeah, film, sure. but you know what we got. You get um, a dark fantasy. Yes. It almost escapes comic book world. It teeters beyond into mythology, doesn't it? Like Yeah, it it, it is. It's it, it 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 borders more into the fantasy world than the superhero yeah. world. I love it. It's so it's so true. It is. It's dark. It's definitely Even not, the logic of it. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there's logical steps that in a fantasy world you just go, oh, yeah, cool, that makes sense. Yep. But in this context, in this context, yeah. If you to, look at it as Superman as a superhero film, yeah, it's it's you'll, you. There is some bits, but a lot of it you're just still like, oh, okay, yeah. But if you looked at this as a film where fucking Edward Scissorhands just suddenly pops up and go pops out and somewhere, you just go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, he's just walking in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It makes yeah. sense. They're the same one. Yeah. He's got he's got a world he's built. I do love he. If I say one thing that I love about this film, Craig, is his ability to balance 
Like, in what film could you have an over-the-top Danny DeVito, an over-the-top Michelle Pfeiffer, and an over-the-top uh, <laughs> um, Christopher Walken all in the one film together, not out-acting each other? Exactly. With the main character happy to let him shine. Oh, it's so much so, Craig, that the opening credits is not whipping around. You know, the the yeah. original film, we rip, we, we rip around the uh, Batman logo to reveal that this is a Batman film. The opening credits of this film is going around what you think could be that Batman logo. And then it turns out to be tunnels and we follow the baby of the penguin. So it's yeah. really like we're watching a penguin story. Sequels are odd. Sequels are meant to be, he breaks the trope of it because sequels expand the main character. Well, this one expands the, doesn't it, if anything, it minimizes the main character. Yeah, it totally does. It expands the villains more. Totally does. And, and this is what Burton himself connects to. Definitely. He, he, he really connects in with these grotesque and broken villains. Yeah. As opposed to connecting with Bruce Wayne. He seems more comfortable in those scenes. 100%. Seems more comfortable. Yeah. And then even, and it's so funny, some of his normal scenes, and it's across all his movies, his normal scenes are like an alien trying to do a normal scene. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, there's, you're like, yeah, it looks it. Yeah. It just looks, there's something just fucking weird about it. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the dance the the um ball that they go to and stuff yes. like that. It's this like it's the brightest scene in the movie, but I'm feeling more depressed in this scene than I do just waiting at the Christmas lights. Totally. And the Christmas lights is so fascinating as well. That mm. opening scene where the giant presents come in. Again, it's so over the top and Loved outrageous. It. But even like I was thinking just the woman they have that like lights up the lights in the snow bunny outfit you know that sort of stuff that's just really over the top and like here we go boys you know yeah, that sort exactly. of stuff it's just like it really is from the get-go it's like yeah burton's libido Doug still on the baby is that Doug Jones? Yeah. It is. It's Doug Jones. I didn't even realize do you have a fascinating little fact and about the dad just sits there watching the baby go out oh okay cool <laughs> Fucking thing, don't stop crying. <laughs> so, originally, there's in the comic books, there's a gang of they were sort of like circus troops who become like a, a villainous group called the Red Triangle Gang. Ooh, that's in all the Batman films. They were going to be one of the bad guys in the original version of Batman Returns. And cool. when uh, Burton and Daniel Waters took over sort of creative control, they were like, oh, we sort of like these guys, but let's just make them like out of work clown folk. The, look, the awesome powers for best. You don't trust carnies, man. <laughs> Small hands. Yeah, smell <laughs> like cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie so much. Um, uh, speaking of movies I love, <laughs> I love this movie so much, Craig. And so I am really excited for next week when people get a chance to really hear us dig deep into this Oh, film. it's good to hear Blake, you know, just like, because Blake's just pretty hardcore on the whole Yes. Um, world around it as well. Yeah. It's, it's just awesome. He goes into some themes around what the film really yep. digs into. Uh, he really breaks down a lot of the characters with us. And we talk about some fun things like the custom Nike Airs that uh, Michael Keaton's Batman They wears. were Franks. 
Were they? Yeah. You'll know that as you You'll hear later. that next week. Now, I want to ask one more question before we sort of start wrapping yeah. things up, Craig. It's time to rank these bad boys. Currently at number one, both you and I, we are in agreement the entire way this season so far. So five films in, could we keep that going? Number one, we both have Edward Scissorhands. Number two, we have Batman. Number three, we got Beetlejuice. And number four, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Craig, I'd love to know, where the heck are you putting Batman Returns? Oh, I have to put it at the top, man. I fucking love Batman Returns. Yeah, I'm doing the same. I really like Edward Scissorhands, but I love Edward Scissorhands. I love the character of Edward Scissorhands. I come out of Edward Scissorhands feeling better. Yep. But just everything else, it's just it's just the better film. Oh, it Batman is. Returns is just an accomplished film. It is, and I think it's nice to feel comfortable, Burton. Yeah. You know, he's very comfortable in this film, uh, down to, you know, motorbike helmets with googly eyes on them you know like it's just all working so well so i think this is just we talk about those moments where a film just clicks and everyone is like hitting their strides yeah actors cast crew director there's one bad thing like bad actor in this whole film maybe Maybe max shrek's son son, yeah but just little theory I'm throwing out there, fan theory. Max Shrek survives. The apocalypse happens and he becomes Immortan Joe. Because really? <laughs> <laughs> his son's the kid, the, the son of Immortan Joe in Fury Road. Oh, is he really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that dude's just like Dave. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, he's, like the, he's the the son of Immortan Joe that like is like, hey, Dad, as they like drive him around <laughs> yeah, on hey, the, Dad. You know, <laughs> that sounds the like bald my son. guy. Hey, Dad. They killed your wife. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Mad Max Fury Road so much, Craig. I did, did you see some little leaked uh, set footage of no? cars and stuff from oh, Furiosa. Yeah, can't pretty wait. Pretty cool. And your Taylor Joy. Pretty, pretty cool. One of the best actors in the next generation. Now, Craig, where can people find us? You can go on to Instagram and Twitter at FFTL Podcast, or you can go on to Facebook um, for First to Last Podcast. Get on there, make comments. Yep. Uh, we both, we try to interact with it as much as possible because I love hearing other people's comments. Yes. Um, unless they're a little bit crazy. I had a crazy <laughs> comment the other day. <gasps> Did we? Yeah, man. Because I was posting something about Pinocchio and someone wrote, oh, Tom Hanks and he's Pedo circle. Oh man, that is one of those and QAnon at, things. Yeah, I looked at I looked at his site and he was all QAnon and everything like that. And I was like, bro, and I just blocked you, bro. Blocked you. <laughs> <laughs> but I still, it. I don't mind it if you have a, a an opinion that's different than me. But let's not go into crazy conspiracies. <laughs> um, but hey, um, you can go onto our website at www. Um, fftlpodcast.com or email us at info at fftlpodcast.com love it love it as always please give us a review share review. us with your friends subscribe subscribe get all the good stuff when it hits uh, also check out our friends at gleecoffeeroasters.com.au oh, yeah. slash store it's time for coffee use bros. the code fftl you get 15% off that sucker Oh yeah! Sweet, sweet coffee. Their spring range is out now. Actually, probably by the time this is coming, it could be the back end of the spring range. But there's some great coffee in there, so check it out. Um, Craig, next week we are talking part two of this film. Yes, this we lovely, are. lovely film. Uh, we are so excited to have Blake on. He is doing some amazing things with some amazing people, including he, is, he was telling us he's got a Master and Commander season just about to drop. They're just waiting on. A little actor called Russell Crowe to record the last episode. 
just amazing things he's doing there. So we're really excited. As always, uh, keep checking the socials. We're going to have lots of fun things popping up there. Oh, yeah. And from all of us here at From First to Last Podcast, I'm Jeff Reed. I'm Craig Killian. And we'll catch you next week. See you guys. <laughs>